0: Yours. Mm. You, okay. yeah, mine. all right we'll stand together real quick and pray <clears throat> hmm. father we just thank you for what you're doing what you have been doing already this morning thank you for the opportunity to witness and get a taste of what you're doing in the lives of these young ladies and we're just so grateful for that, Lord. We're so excited about that and, and what you're doing. And so, Lord, we just, uh, we just prepare our hearts. We position ourselves to receive what you want to, uh, to teach us, Father. And, Father, we do we claim that we have ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord wants to say. And we choose to embrace your word. So thank you, Father, for what you're doing. Thank you for what you've said and what you're going to say this morning. We give you honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Before I start, I want to make an announcement that wasn't in a bulletin because it's a new thing that's going to be happening three weeks from this weekend. Uh, Lisa and I have some new friends that uh, we heard them first speak three years ago. At a at a conference, and their testimony was so powerful that it just shook me and just moved me in in crazy ways. And we heard the testimony of a um, a man who was sentenced to five hundred years, five hundred years, and he's going to be here in three weeks. Uh, crazy testimony, and and his wife. His wife is the one. She has a ministry. where They both have a ministry. It's a prison ministry, as you can imagine. And she is, a, I believe, a 50-time convicted felon. This lady was, was pretty rough, as you can imagine. And she gets up and shares her testimony. And you're thinking, oh, my goodness. This is crazy. It's, it was crazy to hear what God can do to a life that surrenders to him. And then her husband gets up and shares. And I'm thinking, I can't take any more of this. This is amazing. And so anyway, we are going to, um, uh, we talked as elders, and we decided we're going to have an outreach. It'll be a Saturday night, Sunday morning. We're going to invite the community. We're going to invite law enforcement to come to, uh, you know, police officers. They deal with, with criminals often, right? And a lot of times they don't get to see what God wants to do through people who we turn our backs on and say, well, God can't do anything. For this person, and so we're going to invite our our law enforcement friends to come and and see what God is doing. And so I just want to encourage you to save the date. It's uh, three weeks. It'll be the weekend of the ninth, uh, Saturday night and Sunday morning here, and then uh, we're going to have them share Sunday evening at Hillcrest Baptist Church. So uh, anyway, so save the date for that, and we'll have more information on that next week. And I'm extremely excited about that. That's coming. That those the ministry that's coming to town. All right, I'm going to be reading out of one of my favorite passages out of the Bible, and I find myself, whatever passage I'm preaching out of, that's my favorite passage of the Bible for that week. But there's a lot of good stuff in the, in the Word, as we all know, and, and I like this passage because it is so practical. It's one of those passages that you can actually dig in and do something with, and it, can, it will impact your life if we, if we apply it. So I'm going to have you turn, or we're going to be showing up Philippians 4, 6 through 9. I'm going to be reading out of the Amplified uh, translation. And you can go ahead and put up that first sentence, if you're able to uh, put up the first part of the verse, if you're able to do that, hope. Philippians 4, I'm going to be reading verse 6 through 9. It starts out and it says, do not be anxious or worried about anything. Do not be anxious or worried about anything. Now, how many of you guys love to hear when you're going through a very, 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 very stressful situation or a very trying situation and someone tells you, oh, don't worry about it. Or God's got this. Or just give it to God. Or one of my favorites... Let go and let God. Now, when you hear that, you probably want to just kind of smack them upside the head, right? (laughs) I mean, think about it. When you're going through a very trying situation, and I know people mean well, but they say, oh, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. It's like, it don't feel like it's going to be okay. And what I want to share today is I want to talk about how Keys to reducing and eliminating anxiety and stress in our lives. Keys to eliminating and reducing and eliminating stress in our lives. Does anybody know people who have been through stressful situations? (laughs) All right, so this is for them, but you need to listen to it so you can encourage them, okay? But it starts off in the word that says, do not be anxious or worried about anything. And fortunately, it doesn't stop right there. Because, you know, sometimes when people come and say, man, I'm just having a problem with this. And the answer typically can be, stop it. Just stop it. Just stop it. Quit worrying about it. But fortunately, the Word has more to say than just stop it. It says, do not be anxious or worried about anything. Now, check this out. The Bible does tell us not to be worried. It says, don't worry. Don't be anxious. And so if we're choosing to worry and we're choosing to be anxious, then we're being disobedient to the Word of God, right? And so first of all, we need to understand that now. I, I, there's all kinds of statistics and everything. And when I shared on this years ago, I shared a lot of statistics about stress and how damaging it is to us. Stress kills. It kills us. And so when we worry and 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 participate in anxiety, then we are inviting stress and we're doing damage to ourselves. And so the Bible says don't do that. One, because it's deadly. It's, it's damaging. But he doesn't, one thing I appreciate about the Lord is he doesn't just tell us not to do something, but he shows us how to do something. You know, for example, one of my favorite passages, one of my other favorite passages is in Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 43. And we've heard the passage about um, loving your enemies, right? It's like, wait, what? Love your enemies? Jesus says to, he says, um, you know, you've heard that, that it's been said to, to love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I say to love your enemies, to love your enemies. And he didn't just stop right there and say, just do it, just do it. But he goes on to say how? And I'm not going to preach on that right now, because if I get started on that verse, then I'll keep going. But, but he shows us how to do something that seems impossible. And right here, he says, do not be anxious and do not worry. And a lot of times people think, well, I worry because I care. I worry about my kids, or I worry about so-and-so because I care. That's not a good way to care. If you're dead from stress, then how are you going to care about people, right? Just being practical, But he says, do not worry, excuse me, do not be anxious and do not worry about anything. But in everything, in every circumstance and situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, continue to make your specific requests known to God. And the peace of God... That peace which reassures the heart. That peace which transcends all understanding. That peace which stands guard over your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus is yours. So he's saying, do not worry, but do this instead. And if you do this instead, here are the results. Here's the fruit, what you're going to experience if you do what he shows you to do. And then in verse 9 it says, excuse me, verse 8. Finally, uh, excuse me, finally, believers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable and whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is right and confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure and wholesome, whatever is lovely and brings peace, whatever is admirable and of good repute. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think continually on these things, center your mind on them and implant them in your heart. And I said through verse 9, but actually it's through verse 8. Sorry about that. So you can take that off. So Philippians 4, 6 through 8, starts off, do not worry, do not be anxious. And then it shows us how not to. And a lot of times we just talk about verse 6 and 7 and we skip out verse 8, which I believe verse 8 is, is one of the main parts of this whole thing. So I want to share some keys of how we can overcome anxiety. The first thing is our lives must be surrendered to Jesus. We must be totally committed to him and his word. If my lifestyle is about me and doing my own thing, then I'm not going to be in the position to not worry and overcome anxiety. Because if I'm living my own life, and here's what a a lot of people tend to do, they say they're Christians. They're doing their own thing. And as a result of doing their own thing, which isn't God's thing, they get themselves in situations in trouble, which causes anxiety. And then we want God to get us out of that situation. <clears throat> and it doesn't typically work that way. So first of all, we have to, to be able to apply this passage and experience the wonderful results of it, we have to first be committed to Jesus Christ. We have to be committed to His Word, right? That's the first thing that has to happen. Now, that doesn't mean when you're committed to Him that you're not going to find yourselves in crazy and stressful situations. But if you're committed to Him and His Word, then what's going to happen is as the Lord shows you what to do in the midst of that situation, then you're going to be committed to doing what He says, and then you're going to be able to walk in the solution and the victory, and the freedom. You know, in this day and age, there are a lot of people that claim to be Christians. There are a lot of people that, oh yeah, Jesus. They, it's like they throw the name Jesus out there, and all of a sudden, yep, I'm Christian, because look, I believe in Jesus. But then they, their lifestyle shows otherwise. There's a lot of craziness going on out there. And I, you know, I preached a sermon before about, uh, I call it American, the Americanized gospel. And my concern is Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, when Jesus says, not everyone who says to me on that day, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And when he's talking about that day, that day means the day of judgment. When it's all over, it's all too late, and we stand before God. And he says, on that day... Many will say to me, did we not do all these wonderful things? Did not we not do miracles and cast out demons and prophesy and all these things, thinking that they're good, thinking that they're born again, thinking that they're Christians, and then Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Those are the most sobering words to me in the New Testament. When people think they are okay, and they find out when it's too late that they're not. And there's a lot of people in America that I feel like fall into that category. And one reason why, kind of a side note, is because in our country, which I still believe is the best country on the planet, but because of our wonderful freedoms, we typically are not persecuted. Persecuted. For being a Christian, typically. Now, I know there is persecution, but I'm talking about not the kind of persecution that you experience over in in the Middle East. Where over there, you're either killed or you can be disowned from your family for, for being a Christian. We don't experience that for the most part here. And so we're very free to live in our freedom, which is wonderful. However, in our freedom, we do whatever we want. And still claim to be a Christian. And therefore, we, we, we can fall into deception. You know, because Jesus said, <clears throat> if you're going to follow after me, but you love your mother or brother or father or sister more than me, then you're not worthy to be my disciple. And see, in our context, that doesn't mean a lot. Because it's like most of our parents aren't going to make us deny Jesus. But in the context of the Middle East, in a Muslim nation, where if I'm born Muslim and I realize that for me to name the name of Jesus means that my family at best is going to disown me and at worst is going to kill me, I have, a cho- I have a choice to make. Are you following me? And so in that country, they realize to, to name myself as a Christian means I'm dying or I could die any moment. In America, many people are, are encouraged to just raise your hand and pray a prayer and you're saved. And so many people believe, oh, I just prayed the prayer, so I'm good. I live the way I want to. And then in the end, I'm going to be in heaven anyway. But Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And so that's just a side note. But taking that into this, you hear a lot of people say, oh, don't worry, Just, just give it to God. Just trust God in their situation thinking that abracadabra, alakazam, you just give it to God, everything's going to be okay. And that's not necessarily the case. People make bad choices or wrong choices. They're experiencing the consequences, and all of a sudden the consequences are hitting them in the face, and they're like, whoa, this is stressful. Then someone comes along and says, oh, don't worry about it, give it to God. Okay, I'm going to trust God. They're probably not going to see God deliver them out of that situation unless there's repentance in their life. Because their lifestyle is what got them into that mess. Until they repent, a lot of times they're just going to have to stay in that mess. And so the first point is it's so important for us to be committed to Jesus. It's so important for us to be committed to the one who cares about us more than anybody else. To be committed to the one who has hope and a calling for us. The one who has done everything he can do so that he can have a relationship with you. Have you thought about that? Jesus died. Actually, first, when he was in heaven with God. Can you imagine any place more glorious than heaven? And then he chooses to come from the realm of the most amazing place to earth in a, in a crazy kind of way as a baby, which seemed to be born illegitimately. So he came in a real obscure way, was raised up, died the most horrific death so that he can have a relationship with you. That's the one we're talking about, committing our lives to. And that's the same one who says to us, because I love you so much, I don't want you to have to deal with stress and anxiety and worry. We don't have to deal with anxiety and worry. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be. Now we do, but we don't have to be. Are you hearing me? Because anxiety has become so normal and worry is so normal and commonplace, we think that's just the way it's going to be. It doesn't have to be that way. I appreciate Olivia sharing many several weeks ago about her battle with anxiety and how God helped her overcome. I appreciate that so much. I appreciate when, when Nicole has shared her stories about being anxious and all this and, and God helping them to overcome. They could have just said, well, this is just the way it is. We do not have to be overcome by worry and anxiety. And God is showing us how we don't have to be. So number one, we need to be committed to him. Number two, we need to let God develop a history of his faithfulness in our lives by inviting him into our situations by having a conversation with him about it. You know, in the the passage when it says, but in everything, every circumstance and situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So when we come to God, instead of worrying, we are invited to come to him and share our petitions with thanksgiving. So it's like, God, I need help in this situation. I'm really struggling with this, whether it's my finances or whether it's my relationship with my spouse or whether it's my work situation or whatever the situation is. He invites us to come and talk to him about that situation. But it says to mix it with thanksgiving. Now, what does that look like practically? I believe it means when I'm coming to God and with a challenging situation, the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. You know, God is moved by our faith. Our faith is trusting in him. And when I'm, when I'm participating in Thanksgiving, what I'm doing is, it looks like this. God, I really need help in this situation. And then I remember how he's helped me in the past. And I say, God, I know you're faithful because you helped me with this situation. You helped me with this situation. And you helped me with this situation. You helped me. And then I begin to reminisce and, and remember how faithful he was and how he helped me. And then I begin to think and Thank you, God. You're so wonderful. You're so good. You're so faithful. And then we think, wait a minute. God helped me in all these situations. Why would he stop helping me now? It didn't make any sense, does it? See, then you're reminding yourself of his faithfulness. You're getting your eyes off of your circumstance and your situation. And you're putting your eyes on him and being reminded, God, you are good. Regardless of how my circumstance works out, he's good. Period. And we begin to praise him and be thankful and worship him, and your perspective changes. Your perspective changes. One of the young ladies and what they shared shared how her perspective changed. That's everything right there. When your perspective changes and you're on your way out, you're on your way to victory. Because, see, our perception of things is a lot of times what keeps us in bondage. But the Bible says somewhere in there, in Psalms, it says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Magnify the Lord with me. Can anybody make God bigger? Anybody? I mean, is he already really, really, really big? I mean, he's pretty big, isn't he? But the Bible says to magnify God. It's like, wait, what? And I know I've shared this before, but as a, as a reminder, how in the world do you magnify God? If he's already super huge, how do we make him bigger? And I remember one time we were driving to, I think it was Colorado, somewhere. Or it might have been California. Somewhere we were driving, it started with a C. Anyway, there were these mountains in the, in the horizon. And the mountains, you know, rocky mountains, they're huge, right? They're huge. And Lisa must have been driving, or either must have been dangerously, because I, I, I didn't have my hand on wheel. She must have been driving. And I was looking at, I was able to, to fit the mountain range in this little space in my fingers. You ever done that? You looked at that little, and you can fit a lot of stuff in there when it's far away, right? Now, the closer we got to the mountain range... Less of it was fitting in my little square. Why? Because my perspective was changing. I was getting closer to it. The mountain range didn't change sizes. It didn't get bigger as we got closer. It stayed the same size. My perspective of it changed. When we magnify God, he's not, we're not making him any bigger. Our perspective of him is changing. It's like, God, you're amazing. You are awesome. Magnify the Lord. Remember how amazing He is. Remember how much He loves you. I heard that in, that, in a lot of the testimonies too. Realizing how much God loves me. See, so when you realize that and you're in a messy situation, then your confidence begins to change and rest on Him. God, I don't know how the situation is going to change I don't know how you're going to help me, even if you, I'm not even sure if you want to help me. But I do know that you love me. You care for me. And I do know that you're bigger than this situation. Amen? So let God develop a history of His faithfulness in your life by inviting Him into your situations. If we want to have testimonies, if we want to be able to look back, starting today. Say, all right, today, whatever today's date is. Is it the 20th or something like that? And then we move up, let's say, five years ahead. And I want to be able to have testimonies that I can look back on of God's goodness. Then guess what I need to do? I need to invite him into my situation so he can do his wonderful thing so I can have a testimony. And what that means is, not only being committed to him, but allowing him to do it his way. If, if a person can't think back and think of a lot of testimonies of God's deliverance or God's provision or God's coming in and doing something miraculously, it probably means that person hasn't allowed God to do it the way he wants to do it. And so that's why it's important to be committed to his word to be committed to Him, and then when He says to do this or do that, and then we, by His grace, we do this or do that, and then we see amazing things change and happen, then who gets the credit and the glory? God does. It's like, man, God, that was crazy. That was amazing. And then a few days or months or weeks later, we get in a bad situation, and we're able to look back and say, man, God helped me a month ago. Because he loves me and he cares for me. Because I trusted him then, I submitted to him then, I did what he showed me to do because of what his word said, and I saw him respond. And so when I find myself in another situation, I can trust that he wants to help me again. Are you with me so far? So again, let God develop a history of his faithfulness in your life by inviting him into your situations, by having a conversation with him about it. And here's a point I want to make. Let anxiety be a signal that it's time for a conversation with your Heavenly Father. When you find yourself in a very anxious situation, let that be a signal. Oh, something's going on. Why am I anxious about this? or whatever, let that be a signal for you to invite your father and say, God, I need help. I need help. I'm cracking. I'm breaking. I'm, I'm folding under the pressure here. I can't do this. I can't take this. When you find yourself in that situation, it doesn't have to be to that extreme, but when you find yourself in a very anxious situation, let that be a signal that it's time for you to invite him in. And he says, I stand at the door and I knock. And I'm waiting. He's waiting to be invited in. He's not going to burst himself on the scene. He's not going to just do it. He's waiting for us to invite him in. Amen? And he wants to come in. You know, all of you know, many of or all of you probably by now, know that Lisa and I and my family were, were leaving. We're moving to California. Only because that's what God's telling us to do. And as you might imagine, this has the potential to be the most stressful, anxious, and challenging situation we've been in. And not in a bad way. I mean, it's not uh, a tragedy or anything like that. But as you can imagine, and I've lived here for 35 years. Lisa's lived here for 33, I think. 33? Did you come in 88? 31 years. This is my whole life. I mean, I wasn't born here, but as an adult, I came to college here. And this is my life here in Stillwater, Oklahoma. All of my friends are here. And, and so for the Lord to, to say I'm moving you to California, one, transitioning you out of being pastor and moving you, it's been a very interesting journey so far. And, and it started for me, it started on June, June 12th when he started speaking to me about this. Lisa started earlier. Um, but it's been a very interesting journey up to this point. And I've had more early risings in these last few months than I have my whole Christian experience. I mean, I'm getting up at like 3 o'clock, 2 o'clock last week, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 3 o'clock. It's like, why are you getting up so early? Because believe me, I love sleep. So it's not that I'm tired of sleeping and I decide to get up because I wake up for whatever reason, typically to use a restroom, and then I lay back down to go to sleep, and then the mind kicks on, and then it starts playing. And then you can start thinking about things, about to move, don't know what we're going to do, don't know where we're going to move, all this kind of stuff. And you can start thinking, what if? What if this? What if that? What are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about that? And all of a sudden, these, mind, these, these thoughts come into your mind, and they can begin to crush you. And so I lay there in bed trying to go to sleep, trying to shut it out. You know, you squeeze real hard, <clears throat> thinking maybe you'll fall asleep, I guess. And then I, I fear the Lord encouraging me, son, why don't you come spend time with me? And so I do. Go in the living room or go somewhere and just be saying, man, Lord, what what do I do? What do I do? And in these situations, it's been so encouraging because the Father's been talking to me. He's been encouraging me. I've had more amazing times with him in this potentially stressful situation. And most of it is just hanging out with him. It's worshiping it. It's putting on my headset, having to be real quiet because I don't want to wake everybody up. They wouldn't appreciate being woke up at 3 in the morning. And just worshiping him and saying, God, you're so good. You're so amazing. And I remember telling him, God, I want to know if this is you because I don't want to do something stupid. But if this is you calling us, I'll go wherever you want me to go. As long as I know it's you. And so him just revealing his heart and encouraging me. And at least he's been having similar experiences. Just encouraging me, encouraging me. And helping me to realize, yes, this is me. And then it's like, well, what about, Lord, what do we do about this? See, many years ago, we thought the Lord was telling us to move to North Dakota. And we found out later that he wasn't. I misinterpreted what he said. He said, I want you to go up and help Joel with his church. And Lisa had the same thing. Well, we interpreted go up to mean move up. That's not what he said. And so we attempted to sell our house, and it wasn't selling. And I said, God, I'm scared. It's not working out. And then he revealed that we had the whole plan misunderstood and everything, and, and everything was good. We got realigned and all that kind of thing. So... When that happens, in this situation, you can think, how do I know this in the same situation? Lord, did you say we're moving? And he said, yes. Okay, so we've got to sell our house. Last time we tried, it wasn't successful. And and those of you who know us know we had horses, four beautiful horses. Horses, bunch of chickens, all this stuff. It's like, well, we got to take care of all this stuff. So we started with the horses. And it's funny how when you're trying to move forward in what you believe God is wanting you to do, the voices that come at you from your Christian friends. Well, what if you don't sell them? What if nobody wants to buy them? What are you going to do then? You know, the, just, just the, the voices. And not that people are intending to be negative and all that, but when you're in a challenging situation and you're trying to believe God for things to happen and because you believe he told you to do this, and then people who you're hoping will encourage you, which that's definitely mostly been our circumstances with our friends. There's been a lot of encouragement. But every once in a while you get the, well, what if this doesn't happen? What if this? What if that? What if that? And even um, a real dear friend of ours who doesn't go to church or anything, but she owns horses and has been trying to sell hers for years. And then Lisa puts hers out there and they sell all four of them in 10 days. It's like, wait, what? And so it's like the Lord's saying, See, I got you. I got you. I'm like, okay, but that was kind of little. What about the house? And then that's so, so then we put our house on the market and, and, and then the mind can go one of two ways. It can go to worry or it can go to God, I need you right now. I'm going to come draw close to you. God, we need to have a conversation right now because I'm really getting concerned about this. And then as I'm spending time with him, he reminds me, son, remember how I took care of the horses? Because how we prayed our prayer for our horses was, God, we don't want to just sell these. I mean, Lisa invested. Those horses were her babies. Those horses were the most amazing horses I've ever been around. Now, I haven't been around a lot of horses, okay? But but these horses were amazing. Matter of fact, I was so used to them. Lisa had to keep reminding me, now, honey, don't think that this is how horses are normally. Because I can get myself around, oh, a horse, bam, you know, you kicked in the face or something. Because these big, massive animals, I'm just hanging out with them, walking around them. You're not supposed to, you know, just, just loving on these big beasts. Because she had them so, she took care of them. She did a wonderful job with them. So our prayer was, we didn't want to just get rid of them. We wanted them to go to people that would love these horses and ride them and use them and, not, and, and love them and not just let them be expensive land ornaments. Every single one of those horses went to a family. That is loving those animals. and At least it gets constant um, feedback and and seeing how they're being used. And and it's just amazing. It's like, because God loves his people. And he cares about all the details and the things you're going through. Even the seemingly little things that are not little to you. God cares about that stuff. you know, as we were praying, it wasn't that, you know, we're praying and, oh, look, we prayed and this happened. We prayed and this happened. We were praying a certain way because we believed God wanted to do it that way. See, we believe, see, he initiated this whole thing. He says, I'm moving you. It's like, okay, Lord, that means all the stuff has to be taken care of. He's like, yeah. And so as we're praying, we're coming into agreement with him and praying certain things and we're seeing wonderful results. But it's because he wants to do it already anyway. But he's wanting to invite us. No, excuse me. He's wanting us to invite him into our process so he can show himself strong on our behalf. He wants you to wake up every morning remembering how amazing he is. But a lot of times our stressful situations start screaming in our face, intimidating us. And it's like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And that's when God says, come hang out with me. Every time you face a stressful or an anxious situation, take that as a reminder that God is wanting you to draw close to him. But then you have a choice. Am I going to get out of bed and draw close to him, or am I going to stay in bed and for hours and hours trying to go to sleep and letting stress take over? So then we put the house on the market, And it was almost three weeks, nothing. No lookers, no nothing. People ask, hey, have you sold the house yet? Hey, have you got any lookers? Hey, have you got, nope, 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 nope. And then people can start saying, what if it doesn't sell? What are you going to do then? What if this? What if that? It's like, I really don't need to hear that right now. It's just like, hmm. And then those, many of you know, we went to Canada last week. And nothing had happened yet. And, and the cool thing is, is Lisa and I are both walking in this journey together, but we both have our separate experiences. She's got her conversation with Daddy, and I have mine. And it's cool how they're parallel. And we're both praying and doing all this stuff, and things happen, and yet you get to hear the testimony from different perspectives, and it's just amazing. The conversation she shares with me that she's having with the Father is like, that is so cool. And I remember, you know, he's kind of getting, it's like, man, is anything going to happen? And I remember asking the Lord, I said, Lord, this was on Tuesday. We were leaving on Friday. On Tuesday, it's like, Lord, um," one of those times when anxiety was trying to grab a hold of me, I said, Father, could we please have serious movement happen before we go to Canada? Because, man, I would love to go to Canada encouraged, and I don't feel encouraged right now. That was on a Tuesday. Nothing had been, no one had looked at the house yet. That was Tuesday. That afternoon, we got a text from Candy. She said, someone wants to come look at the house. Wednesday, they came to look at the house. One of our prayers, one of our main prayers concerning our house is, we, I love my house. I love our property. I love it. I just love it. It's peaceful out there. I love it. And so our prayer has been that whoever buys this, it'll be their dream home. It'll be what they absolutely adore and want and are looking for. We don't want to just sell the house. We want it to be a blessing to whoever comes in. And so the lady came and went. We get a text from Candy, who's our realtor. And she says she's very interested. And I think it was the next day or day after that, we got a contract signed. And so now we're, and so we're scheduled to close on the 15th of November. Here's the interesting thing. There's a whole lot. This journey is just beginning. And there's still a lot of opportunities. This morning I woke up early. Yesterday I woke up early. There's still opportunities for anxiety to try to grab a hold. There's still a lot, you know, there's still room for people to say, well, what if this doesn't happen? What are you going to do here? What are you going to do about that? And all that, the swirling noise. <clears throat> when, when, we, when we hear those arguments coming at us, that's when we need to choose to shut that off. And one thing I want to encourage everyone, because all of us, if we were to raise our, if we were to interview each person, we would hear that many of us are going through challenging situations, challenging, trying, stressful situations. And so it's kind of common because life is hard, right? It gets hard. We should be, as Christians, brothers and sisters, we should be the most encouraging people in each other's lives. So I want to encourage us. When you're talking to a brother or sister and they're going through a challenging time, don't say things like, suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> Not the most encouraging. Unless the Lord tells you, if it's a prophetic word, then go for it. Or don't worry about it. Stop worrying. Find a way that you can partner with them. Because, see, the Father, you know, the Holy Spirit is our helper. He's our encourager. And he's sent by Jesus to help us. So he's a very encouraging one in our lives. The enemy, the accuser of the brethren, wants to bring fear and discouragement in our lives. Right? Would you agree with that? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy your peace or steal your peace. He wants to wreak havoc in our lives. He would love for us to partner with fear and anxiety so that stress can have its way and we begin to have all kinds of issues. So you have the Holy Spirit who wants to bring encouragement, hope, and peace. And you have the enemy who wants to bring destruction. Be careful who you partner with. Especially the voice you begin to speak into someone's life. Because you're either partnering with the Holy Spirit or you're partnering with the devil. If you're speaking doubt and unbelief, man, I don't know if that's going to work. What if nothing happens? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? You know, when you think about, when you let your mind go into what-if scenarios, do you realize the grace of God doesn't dwell there? God doesn't give you grace for what-if scenarios. And so when you go into those situations with your mind, you're going there without grace, and stress is ruling and reigning, and fear is becoming prevalent. So when people say, what if? I don't know about what-ifs. God hasn't given me grace for what-ifs, so I ignore the what-ifs. So when we have the opportunity When we hear of a brother or sister going through a rough time, let's find out how to partner with them with encouragement. In your own self, I'm out of time. I'll I'll maybe continue this next week because I didn't get through half my notes. And in your own self, it's important. You know, the last verse, verse 8, it says, Whatever is lovely, noble, good, report, all that, set your mind on these things. So when you're going through a challenging situation, a stressful situation, you can choose to dwell on the situation, the problem, or you can choose to dwell on what God says. It's important, one point, I'll I'll bring this up maybe if I share this next week, but I want to say this one point. It is important to ask the Lord when you're in this situation, Lord, what am I supposed to do? What does your word say about my situation? Because a situation that you find yourself in, there may, you may have a responsibility to do something. It may be, son, you need to repent of your bad attitude towards your wife. That's what's got you in this mess, is your bad attitude towards your wife. Oh, wasn't hoping he was going to go there. And so if there's a responsibility I have to take care of, and I work that situation out. Let's say that is a situation. I treated my wife poorly. And as a result, there's stress in our relationship. It's strained. It's not good. And it's causing me stress and anxiety. And he says, you need to repent of your bad attitude towards her, which means I need to get things right with her. And then I go and do my part to get things right. Well, but let's say the relationship is still stressed because maybe she's not responding in the right way. Well, then that's between her and the Lord. I take care of my situation, my part. So when you find yourself in a situation, you take care of what you need to take care of, and then you trust the rest to God. What I used to tell my boys is, you do what you can do, and trust God to do what you can't. Let's stand together. If you wouldn't mind closing your eyes real quick, and... and, um, And just whatever you're going through right now, just want to encourage you to invite the Lord into this situation. And say, hey, Daddy, we're going to definitely talk about this. Whether it's this afternoon, whether it's early in the morning before you go to work, or tonight before you go to bed, whenever. I just want to encourage you to be intentional in in inviting your Heavenly Father into the situation because He cares about you so much. He cares about you so much. And he's waiting for your invitation. He's waiting. Father, I just pray for my brothers and sisters right now. Lord, you know what every single one of us are going through. And I thank you, Lord, that you are being invited. In and will be invited in. And Father, I'm excited about the testimonies that, that are going to come as a result of you being invited in. The breakthroughs that are going to happen, the provisions that are going to happen, the reconciliations that's going to happen, the promotions, the answers to prayer that are going to happen. As you're invited in, and we respond, we repent, we do what we need to do. Thank you, Father, you're so good. We love you so much. We give you honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.